Hello everyone, it's your host Lauren and welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. It is episode 9. Episode 9. Last week, I just want to say a quick apology for the podcast episode going out a little bit later on in the day than it usually is. I know it's normally meant to go out at midnight and it went out a bit later on in the day, almost a whole day later. I wouldn't let me upload the audio on Tuesday when I recorded it and it, I completely forgot to upload it on the Thursday night. I realised at 9am on, on Friday that I hadn't uploaded the episode yet and I was like, oh shit. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode with The Craze. If you are very interested in The Craze and I and you've not listened to that episode yet, I would go back and listen to it if you're interested in the whole British gangster live scene, the whole thing. Because it's a very in- interesting podcast episode. I would definitely say so myself. Now, it is Tuesday, the 25th of January, 2022, as I'm recording this, at... Well, it is quarter to nine in the evening because <laughs> I like to do this late, clearly, because I don't think about time management. And it's a Tuesday, which means I don't, I'm not in the best of moods because I hate Tuesdays. Tuesdays are the worst days of the week, in my bright opinion, just due to the fact that your conversation about the weekend's out of the way after Monday. You, you just want to focus on game through the rest of the week. It's nowhere near close to the weekend. You're miserable as fuck. There's nothing to do. It's horrible. It's shit. Let's face the reality of why it is. One person that definitely did not like Tuesdays or pretty much any of the other days of the week is Charles Bronson. The man that is Britain's longest serving prisoner. The man that has been in and out of prison more times than most people can count. The man... That is a baffling reason why he's still in prison. But also the man that got put in Broadmoor for reasons of which I even I can't understand. We're going to be talking about Charles Bronson today, as I've already said. We're going to be going through his early life, his crimes, the whole thing. His after, well, where he is now, what he's doing now, his marriages, because they're important. The whole thing. We're going to go through absolutely everything today. So just a quick disclaimer before we delve right in. This is a true crime podcast. I do not mean to glorify any of the criminals that I talk about in this podcast. This is purely for historical and educational reasons. I try and be as respectful as I possibly can do with every single episode that I record. There will be mentions most likely in most episodes of murder, violence, sexual assault, rape, and child abuse that some people may find upsetting and or triggering and if that is the case I'd skip the episodes where I do warn you about those. Today we're just today is not as triggering but your warning's there. So Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson was actually born Michael Gordon Peterson and he was born in Luton in Bedfordshire. He was one of three sons of Ira and Joe Peterson. His father later ran the conservative club in Abbotsworth. His uncle and auntie each served as a mayor of Luton in the 1960s and 70s. 
And his auntie Eileen Parry is quoted on saying, as a boy, he was a lovely lad. He was obviously bright and always good with children. He was gentle and mild-mannered, never a bully, and he would always defend the weak. Says a little start to his life for you. So he lived in Luton from the age of four, but when he was a teenager, his family moved to Elmsmere Port in Cheshire, where he started getting into a little bit more trouble. So by the age of 13, he was part of a gang of four robbers and was arrested and put into juvenile court when he was caught stealing once at one point he enjoyed fighting from a very early age and this carries on pretty much throughout the rest of his life and he was mostly absent from school just due to this he later returned back to luton and he refers to it as his hometown which he didn't mean it really is even though he didn't doesn't really spend a vast amount of his time there so his first job was at Tesco, a little bit of trivia for you. Now this job only lasted two weeks because he was fired for attacking his manager. Something that we've all thought doing. We can't judge him for this one, we've all thought of it. We've all considered it at times. He just did the thing that we said we just he just did the thing that we wanted to do. But obviously he got the punishment that we all couldn't afford to get, which was getting sacked. So, after this he went through a fair number of jobs, mostly working as a hod carrier in a number of factories. He was put in prison for the first time at Rylesley and he was serving time on remand for criminal damage after he smashed some parked cars. This was after an argument that he'd had with his girlfriend at the time's father. It doesn't say over why they had the argument but clearly they just didn't get along and he wasn't having any of it following his trial he was fined and given probation and that was basically about it which happens a lot he was working as a furniture remover at one point while regularly fight regularly fighting on his nights out weirdly those two are put together as a fact now, after being involved in petty crime, he was in serious trouble with the authorities and for the first time after crashing a stolen lorry into a car. Clearly, he's not a very good driver. So he was arrested in his parents' home, which was 19 miles away from where, every, where all that happened, which is very much a long way to go to arrest him for this because I didn't know that it could stretch that far. So the driver of the car survived the collision, which resulted in Michael not facing serious a serious penalty and receiving fines and, a pro- and probation again. After his trial, he returned to petty crime and manual labour, which I'm not really surprised by. They're, not, they're just kind of letting him off with like a pat on the shoulder, so I'm not really surprised that he's going back to his old ways because he's just kind of like, well, I can get away with it, clearly. At the age of 19, he was convicted for his part in a smash and grab raid and the judge gave him a suspended sentence. So he then in 1971 met a girl called Irene Kesley. Now this is who, now he described her as so different from any of the girls that I knew. She always wore tailored suits, had perfectly groomed hair and a Cockney accent. Now, eight months later, in 1972, when she was four months pregnant, they both got married at Chester Register Office. Their son, Michael Jonathan Peterson, was born and 
five years later, they sadly got divorced and she eventually got remarried. So for the rest of this, we've got a bit of a timeline, I guess is the best way of putting it. So it's through different years. So right now I'm going to go through the year from 1974 to 1989. I know it's a fair big stretch. So he was convicted of armed robbery in 1974 at the age of 22 and he was sentenced to seven years in prison. So he was sent to Walton Gowell and soon ended up on the punishment block after attacking two prisoners without being provoked. So he was transferred to Hull in 1975 and after refusing prison work he smashed up a workshop after an altercation with a prison officer and was sent to the punishment block yet again. He was also injected with a sedative and six months were added to his sentence because of this. So they just found him really difficult to work with, especially when calming him down. So a lot of the time for this, whenever he kicked off even remotely like this, it always knocked him out as a way to, like, we need to get him away. After he woke up, he continued to prove to be a highly challenging inmate and was repeatedly placed in solitary confinement for several months at a time. He attacked a fellow prisoner, John Henry Gallagher, with a glass jug and was charged with grievous bodily harm. Those charges were later dropped to unlawful wounding and he was convicted. Nine months were added to his sentence after this and he was transferred to Armley Gowl again. No, Arm oh no, he was at Walton Gall at first. Now he's going to Armley. Okay. He then ended up with this reputation as a violent and highly dangerous inmate. And this would basically stick with him from this point onwards. This has never left him. He is still referred to as this to this very day. So during 1975 to 1977, he was switched between Armley, Armley Wakefield, Parkhurst and Walton prisons. And Wakefield's got some really nasty people in it. So the fact that he ended up in Wakefield is big. He was taken from Yorkshire to London and chained to the floor of a prison van. He was kept in solitary confinement and he began a fitness program. He continued to attack other inmates as well and damage prison property. This is a thing that also never changes. While recovering in solitary from a beating given to him for punching two prison officers, he was handed the divorce papers filed by his wife at the time. Well, that's got hit deep. That probably also did not help the anger issues that he clearly already had. At Wandsworth, he attempted to poison the prisoner in the cell next to him. He was then moved to Parkhurst Prison in 1976, where he befriended the Cray Twins. They always have to make a reappearance every now and again. Now, he met the Cray Twins, and obviously this is not This is just after they had ended up in prison for all of their crimes. And he described them as the two best guys I've ever met. Uh, to be fair, he's not the only one who said that about the Crays. Uh, there's been a few people who have done like podcast interviews and stuff like that after they've gotten out and they've spent time in prison with the Crays, and they've said the exact same thing. Must have been... They must have just been like, ah, we're, just, we're not going anywhere. Might as well chill. So he was moved back to Wandsworth after threatening to kill a prison officer. He spent four months in isolation after he was caught trying to dig his way out of a cell. I really want to know how he was trying to do that. 
I'm not for like to do it, obviously, because I'm not, hopefully never going to end up in a place like that. But also, like, how, what are you going to use? So after this, he was being returned to the prison's general population with everyone else, and he caught up with the prisoner who had informed on his escape plan, and he attacked him and scarred him for life. So, I mean. Clearly, dude, never heard of the term snitches get stitches. That's a terrible joke to make, but it's true. So the governor at Wandsworth wanted to transfer him out of his facility and only the C unit, which was the psychiatric wing at Parkhurst, and they were the only people who were willing to accept him. He was returned to the Isle of Wight after that. There, he attacked a prisoner with a jam jar and was again charged with grievous bodily harm. He did attempt suicide and attacked another prison officer in the same day and was made subject to transfer direction order under the Mental Health Act. In December 1978, he arrived at Broadmoor. The fucking glorious Broadmoor. So... Broadmoor, for those who aren't aware, we went through a little bit more. We went through a little bit last episode, but Broadmoor is a psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane. That's basically what it's mostly known for. It wasn't originally for that. It was basically for most people, for more. It was pretty much anyone. Like, if you had any form of mental health issue, you could guarantee you might end up in Broadmoor at some point in your fucking lifetime years ago. But he was put into Broadmoor for his uh, anger issues and also for the fact that he attempted suicide. Uh, but he, he was soon transferred to Rampton Secure Hospital not too long afterwards. Now, he was unable to adapt to the forced medication and in the company of highly disturbed and highly dangerous patients. He did attempt to strangle child rapist and murderer John White. He was apprehended just as White was giving out his death rattle. So he was basically obviously signalling to people, yeah, I'm going to die here, please, can you help? And he was returned to Broadmoor where he reunited with Ronnie Craigs. Obviously Ronnie, we also went through this on the last episode, Ronnie ended up in Broadmoor due to being a paranoid schizophrenic and being a danger to not only himself but various other people. So... We already knew that Ronnie was also in there, so this is where they met again. This is a quote from Ronson himself. I witnessed them running into walls, using their heads as rams. I've seen them fall unconscious doing this. They stabbed themselves with pens, needles, scissors. One even blinded himself in one eye, and another tore out his own testicle. Lovely. There was one who just kept trying to eat himself, biting his arms, legs, and feet. Lovely. Now, this is what he said on finding it impossible to relate to the other patients in various hospitals that he was held in. And yeah, I can can understand that. I can see what he means. So, at Broadmoor, Bronson attempted to strangle Gordon Robinson to death, but was prevented from doing so by the tearing of the silk tie he was using. Following this, he ca- he became severely depressed, but found his spirits lifted with Ronnie Cray and arranged a visit from boxer Terry Downs. So, this 
apparently Ronnie was like, no, I'm cheering you up. I'm not having this. No, nope, not doing it. And in 1982, he performed his his first rooftop protest. This happens a fair quick. This happens a few times. He just loves a rooftop protest. This guy. So he basically climbed to the top of Broadmoor and he was tearing off roof tiles and just launching them. Not at, not at anyone. He was just like throwing them off the building. Now, not long after this first incident, he again went to the top of Broadmoor for the second time and caused £250,000 worth of damage in a three-day protest before he was talked down by his family. I have seen the pictures. He basically just rips the roof apart. Also, the pictures are on Google. If you want to Google it, it is Charles Bronson just on the top of the roof with his hands in the air, which is really kind of a weirdly funny picture, but that's basically what it is. After some more treatment, he took up art, and now this is actually recorded quite a fair bit, and apparently even to this day, he's still very good at art, and that's his like pastime. Eventually, he received more prison awards than any other inmate with his poems and cartoons, his various art drawings. He then made his third rooftop protest. This time, he demanded a prison transfer, so he wanted to be let out of Broadmoor and be sent back to prison. Now, so one thing that is a thing... Um, if you are sent to a psychiatric hospital but you have been sentenced to a certain amount of time in prison when you're in the hospital your sentence hasn't necessarily started so your sentence starts when you get put back in the prison so for one prime example the yorkshire ripper peter sutcliffe got put into broadmoor but he was in there for a long time so it got to the point where he eventually got moved to a prison and he was like, I've done my 30 years. Because he gave him like 30 years to life. So after like 30 years, he could apply for probation or something. And it got to about 30 years later. And he was like, I've done my 30 years. I want my probation. I want to be set free. And they were like, yeah, you did majority of that in Broadmoor. That don't count. You were in a hospital. You were a patient. That's completely different. You, you're in prison now. You've only been there for like 10 years. Good try though. And yeah, so he, well, he died. So uh, he never got out. So yeah, he wanted to have a prison transfer, but was again talked down. He began an 18-day-long hunger strike and was eventually granted a transfer to Ashworth Hospital in June 1984. So they were like, you're not sending you to a prison, but we'll do something better than Broadmoor, which is Ashworth. Though he was a lot more settled in the more modern facilities and regime at Ashworth, he soon returned to his previous behaviour. He used a sauce bottle to stab Mervyn Hawley, who was a patient who made sexual advances towards him that he clearly did not like. He was returned to the general prison population at Rosley Remand Centre in 1985, but was placed in isolation after punching a fellow inmate. Just stop fucking punching people! In May 1985, he pleaded guilty to grievous, grievous bodily harm for the attack on Hawley, and three years were added to his sentence. Later in the year, he was returned to Walton, where he made another three-day rooftop protest. That's four now? Now, this one caused £100,000 worth of damage. Authorities added another year to his sentence, and he was moved to Albi... Albany, where he punched another convict on his first day in general prison. Just fucking stop. 
He was quickly moved to Wormwood Scrubs and two weeks later was returned to Wandsworth. He could... I swear at this point he's almost been through every single bloody prison in the UK. In 1986, Bronson was transferred eight times, the only new location being Winchester. He strangled the governor of Wormwood Scrubs during one particularly violent episode. On the 3rd of January 1987, he was transferred to Gartree, where he served the rest of his sentence in isolation, other than 10 days spent in nearby Leicester Prison. He just is ticking the boxes. So, now we're going from 1987 to 1999. So, let's see how this one goes for him, because if I remember rightly, it ain't that great. Spoiler. So, he got released from Gartree, and he was met by his family and stayed with his parents for a few days in Abersmith. He journeyed by train to London and bought a water pistol, modified it, and used it to intimidate a stranger into driving him to Luton. Just just get just find a different way of getting to Luton that's not threatening someone with a makeshift gun, you dipshit. He embarked on a short-lived career in illegal bar-knuckle boxing in the East End of London on the advice of a long-time friend, Reggie Cray. Of fucking course, Reggie's like, just go do some bare-knuckle boxing. I feel like you'd be well good at it. So this is when he changed his name from Michael Peterson to Charles Bronson in 1987 on the advice of his fight promoter, Paul Edmonds. Although he'd never seen a film starring the American actor Charles Bronson, he just went with the name. He offered to fire Lenny McLean, but was refused. He also said that he killed a Rottweiler with his bare hands in a £10,000 underground fight. This is in the movie, so if you're going to watch the movie, that is something to bear in mind. I don't think you actually see the dog getting killed, but I think you can hear it. He later said that this was not something I'm proud of because I love animals. To the surprise of his girlfriend, Alison at the time, so he's got, a, he's got a new girlfriend, he's found someone else. On New Year's Day in 1988, he robbed a jewellery shop, kept a ring for her and sold the rest. Just, he's got, he's, he's got the intentions, but he's just fucking stupid with how he does it. moving around I'm getting comfier because being sat at my desk recording this shit is not exactly the most comfiest thing on the planet so on the 7th of January 1988 on his 69th day of freedom he was arrested on his morning jog the arresting officers changed hit, uh, charged him under his fighting name Charles Bronson and he decided at that moment to give up his actual his, uh, his actual name no his birth name, which was Michael Peterson. He returned to Leicester Prison at Bedford as Bedford Prison refused to house him on account of his uncontrollable behaviour. Uh, yeah, he's got a reputation at this point. <laughs> his defence had looked strong as eyewitnesses refused to testify due to fear of the, the whole freaking ordeal. Allison retracted her initial testimony and became and became the prosecution's main witness. This not only removed his alibi, but also gave the prosecution all the evidence needed to win the case, so she didn't really help. He then made a failed bid to reach the prison's roof. 
because he tried again to do another protest and was transferred to Brixton. He was placed in a top secure unit of 16 prisoners in Brix- at Brixton and in June 1988 he pleaded guilty to armed robbery and was sentenced to seven years again. So he was then taken to Wandsworth before being transferred to Full Sutton. While he was there, he spent time in isolation for punching a prisoner and a prison officer and throwing water on the governor. He was also sent for a month at Durham where he bonded with a family of rodents that crept into his cell. Okay. In 1989, he was moved to Long Larton and seemed to settle at the prison pretty well. However, he eventually went over the edge and ran riots in the nude, clutching onto a spear he made out of a broken bottle and a broom handle. All of this is in the movie, by the way. God, you need to watch it. After another incident where he began a one-man riot, he was put into isolation again. He spent two months at Bristol before being moved to Birmingham, Winchester and back to Wandsworth in September 1989. He was regularly moved and in trouble, mostly because he went. Mostly, this is because he punched two prison officers at Gartry and took the deputy governor hostage at Franklin. It's like dealing with a misbehaving child, isn't it? At Parkhurst, he was on the receiving end of an attack when two prisoners stabbed him in the back several times, but he refused to speak to anyone about it. See, he's not snitched to the guy that snitched on him about escaping. I mean, good for telling someone that he was escaping, but also, like, still the snitches get stitches. He He recovered from the attack without any further incidents and was released from prison in November 1992. Now, this time, he spent 53 days as a free man before being arrested again. This time for conspiracy to rob. He was arrested at the newly opened... He was put back in prison at the newly opened Woodhill Prison, but insisted that his girlfriend, Kelly Ann, and her friend, Carol, and her lover were lying to the police in order to get him locked away. On the 9th of February 1993, the charges of the robbery were dismissed and he was given a £600 fine for breaking the nose of Kelly Ann's boyfriend. 16 days later, he was arrested again for conspiracy to rob and for possession of a sawn-off shotgun. On remand in Wood Hill, he took a civilian librarian hostage and demanded an inflatable doll, a helicopter and a cup of tea from police negotiators It's the inflatable doll. I mean, we all know what it's probably for, but Jesus. He released the hostage after being disgusted when the man farted in front of him. There you go. You can never get held hostage while Charles Bronson in prison. Just fart in front of him. He'll release you in a second. That's the one thing that... That's all it took. Take notes, people. Take notes. Bronson was taken from Belmarsh to to Bullingdon Prison for his trial. For the trial, he pleaded guilty to possessing the shotgun, but not guilty for the conspiracy charges. He told the jury he had intended to use the shotgun to blow his head off. On the 14th of September 1993, he was found guilty of intent to rob and not guilty of conspiracy to rob. 
While his co-defendant was found innocent of all charges, he was given an eight-year sentence. That makes no sense. He was taken from Belmarsh to Wakefield after this, where he spent 40 days naked in isolation. It doesn't say if that was of choice or if that was a thing that they told him to do. He was transferred to Hull in November where he spent a number of months without any instance at all before he took Deputy Governor Adrian Wallace hostage on Easter Monday in 1994. He was overpowered by guards and was transferred to Leicester again. They must be sick of him coming back, mustn't they? He was returned to Wakefield where he was confined to what was known as the Hannibal Cage which was previously occupied by by Robert Maudsley. So, Robert Maudsley, by the way, if you don't know, he is a serial killer who killed four people, three of them taking place in prison. All of his victims were child sex offenders and he's mostly known for being locked in a glass cage in an underground prison. You might have seen a few articles about him. So, while he was there, prison officers Mick, o Mick O'Hagan and Alan Jarvis encouraged him to take up art, and he began to pretty much just concentrate in on cartooning. So, he was occupied. Now, his father died in September 1994 during a period when Bronson was in constant solitary confinement and was moved pretty much almost weekly. He attacked the governor at High Down, who had felt safe enough to visit Bronson on his own. You more or not at this point in life, please telling his prison officers that he's okay with me. Probably not when his dad's just died and he can't go to the funeral. So he was... Now, this is what, a part that's really confusing. So they, act, they say that he's so violent and they say that he's such a dangerous person. But then at Lincoln, he was allowed to spend time with children that have Down syndrome and he was taken out of solitary confinement and placed back on the prison wings after getting along with the children. I mean, I don't doubt that he was good with them, but it's just like really confusing if someone's so dangerous that he put them in a glass cage is allowed to hang out with kids. Now, he returned to isolation after returning from 30 minutes exercise 30 minutes late. Just tell him that he's running overtime. You don't need to put him in fucking solitary confinement. Just go tell him. In April 1996, he was sent back to Belmarsh after taking a doctor hostage at Birmingham. Five months later, an Iraqi hijacker bumped into him in the canteen and did not apologise. And after a long period of brooding, Bronson took two other hijackers along with another inmate named Jason Cre uh, Greasley hostage in a cell. By his own admission, he was losing it badly and ranted about his dead father, saying that any funny business would result in him snapping necks. He sang and laughed and forced the men to tickle his feet and call him general. He demanded a plane to take him to Libya, two Uzi submachine guns, two Uzi submachine guns, sorry, 5,000 rounds of ammunition and an axe. He released Greasley but began chanting, I want ice cream. I'm not joking about any of this either. He felt guilty after hitting one of the hostages with a metal tray and therefore insisted the same hostage hit him over the head four times as to call it quits. He slashed himself four times with a safety razor but agreed to release the hostages and walk back to the segregation unit. After, another seven year, after this, another seven years were added to his sentence. 
though this was reduced to five on appeal. I'm just thinking, imagine being stuck in a cell with Charles Bronson. You're not going to know what he's really going to do. And then he just starts singing, singing and laughing and saying, I want ice cream. You'd be very confused, wouldn't you? So there is then a quote from him as well that says, my eyes are bad due to the years of unnatural light I have had. My vision is terrible. I have to wear shaded glasses even to read. So there you go. If you ever wonder about the whole like round shaded glasses, there you go. Years of solitary have left me unable to face the light for more than a few minutes. It gives me terrible headaches if I do. Years of loneliness in small cells have left me paranoid about people invading my space. I now can't stand people getting too close crowding or crowding me. I have people breathing on me and I hate smelly bodies coming near me. Mouths to me are simply for eating, never for kissing. A man needs a routine to cope with such extreme, with such an extreme, with such an extreme situation. For me, it's my push-ups and sit-ups. I also pace the room and count each step. Some know I lie down on their beds for three hours on their left side, three hours on their right, and three hours on their back. End quote. In October 1999, he took Phil Danielson, a civilian education worker, hostage as he criticised one of Bronson's drawings. Bronson tore up the prison, throwing, re throwing refrigeration units and furniture around. He was shocked and knocked unconscious for a few minutes when wrenching a washing machine out of the wall. A siege last The siege lasted for 44 hours before he released Danielson. Bronson was then transferred to Whitemore. So the next fair, pretty much now until the end of the podcast, we're going to be talking about everything from 2001 to the present day. Because I don't think there's been any more updates on him since all this. So in 2001, Bronson got married again, this time in, H in HMP Woodhill to Fatima Sarah Rahim. She was a Bangladeshi-born divorcee. She had... Now, there are news articles and there are clips from newspaper, news segments about her and what before they got married. So she had seen his picture, basically, in, in an article about him in the newspaper and became fascinated and just started writing to him, I guess. She visited... She paid about 10 visits to him before they got married. She had worried she sorry she had worked at a woman's shelter before they got married but then obviously she lost her job when her boss found out about the relationship which i'm not really surprised about like you're a woman's shelter for dealing with violent men mostly and you're about to get married to one of the uk's most violent criminals that's not exactly surprising that your employer is not going to be cool with that for a short time, Bronson converted to his wife's faith of Islam and wished to be known as Charles Ali Ahmed, but did not really change his name legally. After four years of marriage, Charles and Rahiman divorced and his and he renounced his Islam faith. During this period, he appealed against his life sentence, but three appeal court judges rejected the application in April 2004. In court with six prison guards surrounding him, Bronson said his wife and her daughter were helping to rehabilitate him and references about his character, including reports from psychiatrists, were very much positive about this. So a lot of psychiatrists are like, we think he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. 
So this actual psychiatrist that I've just said that we can't really diagnose him with anything because he's fine. In two, I think it's just genuinely those years of self-solitary confinement which haven't helped. In 2007, two prison staff members at Full Sutton High Security Dispersal Prison in the East Riding of Yorkshire were involved in a control and restraint incident in an attempt to prevent another hostage situation, during which Bronson had his glasses broken. Bronson received £200 compensation for the broken glasses. I think that's because he literally can't fucking see without them, as he's explained to us. Bronson remained a Category A prisoner when he was moved to Wakefield High Security Prison. He was due for parole for a parole hearing in September 2008, but he but this was postponed when his lawyer objected to one-hour parole interview, requesting a full day to deal with Bronson's case. The parole hearing took place on the 11th of March 2009, and the board refused parole shortly afterwards. In August 2013, a petition with 10,000 signatures was presented to 10 Downing Street calling for his release. In an enclosed note, Bronson appealed to Prime Minister David Cameron at the time for him to be able to live what is left of my life and not be die- and not be not have it be during di- not be dying in the prison system. 2013, he was in Wakefield. Huh. When did Ian Watkins get arrested? Did he meet Watkins? Oh, well, they probably didn't put him next to Watkins because uh, they definitely didn't put him next to Watkins. There's no way. Oh no, he's been in there since he's been in Wakefield since 2018, so possibly not. That is a case I'm not going through. Fuck no. So on the 28th of February 2014, he violently attacked the prison, the prison governor in a television room in HMP Woodhill over a dispute that his mail was being withheld, inclu- including two letters from his mother. The governor suffered serious bruising and in July 2014, Bronson was sentenced to two more years. Prison had accepted that his mail may have been unaccept- unacceptably processed. Then apologise to him, at least. Just be like, sorry, mate, we missed, we lost it. We'll try and find it. Like, fuck me. I mean, no no excuse for attacking them, but, like, I get the anger. In August 2014, he announced that he was changing his name via deed poll to Charles Salvador in tribute to the artist Salvador Dali. And in a handwritten statement on his website, Salvador stated that the old me dried up. Bronson came alive in 1987. He died in 2014. Interesting. Under the new name, he began creating works of art described as fantasy reality, which was a, and a collection of the works was auctioned in October 2014. He proposed to actress Paula Williamson during a prison visit on the 13th of February 2018, and she said yes. Now, this marriage was very much famous. She is mostly known for um, roles in Coronation Street and Emmerdale, basically. And she began visiting him for five months. And according to Paula, Charlie is a changed man. It is my hope that he will be released by my 40th birthday in August 2020. 
so she, they got married in a in the prison chapel on the 14th of November 2017. Now, only a year later, it became known in July of 2018 that Bronson asked for a divorce after a photo after photo evidence of a young man on holiday motorboating Paula's chest and invite and her inviting him and his friends into her apartment whilst on holiday in Tenerife was leaked to a newspaper. She claimed he requested his wife to wear a catsuit when she next visited him, which is something she rejected. On the 29th of July 2019, Paula, at the age of 38, was found dead at her home in Stoke-on-Trent. Her death was not considered suspicious by the police, but was possibly due to a cocaine overdose. Yeah. In November 2018, Bronson was found not guilty at Leeds Crown Court after being tried for attempting to cause grievous grievous bodily harm with intent. The incident the, the previous January had involved a Mark Doherty, which is the governor at Wakefield Prison. Oh, so he was there in Wayne Wakefield in 2018. Ooh. Interesting two people to be in Wakefield at this time. He said, For the first time in 44 years in prison, I never intended to be violent. I never meant to hurt the governor. Now, he told the court this via a video link while defending himself. Shortly after this, he was moved to HM, HM prison, P, HMP Woodhill. While in prison, Bronson developed a fitness regime and in 2008 he claimed he could do 172 press-ups in 60 seconds, 94 sit-ups in 30 seconds, and in 2002 he published the book Solitary Fitness, detailing an individual training process with minimal resources and space. Now this is a quote from him in 2002 saying, I am the king of the press-ups and the sit-ups. I've already said I once did 25 press-ups with two men on my back and I've squatted with with three men on my shoulders. I've been making prison fitness records for as long as I can remember. Show me another man, a man half my age, who can pick up a full-size snooker table. I can. Show me another guy who can rip out... What? Who can rip out... Uh, 1,727 press-ups in an hour. I can. I once went eight years without using weights. Then I went to the gym and bench pressed 300 pounds ten times. I'm five foot eleven. I weigh 220 pounds, and I feel as strong as I did when I was 21. There's something deep inside me that pushes me on. I'm a solitary fitness survivor. I'd have to see it. One, you'd have to see it to believe it. Since 1999, he has occupied himself by writing poetry and producing artwork. He has had 11 books published, including in 2008 his only self-penned book, Luniology, In My Own Words. He has won 11 Coaster Trust Awards for his poetry and art. Little bit more trivia. On the 28th of April 2010, BBC News reported that artwork by Bronson was displayed on the London Underground at Angel Tube Station from the 26th of April 2010 for two weeks. The display was organised by Art Below, which is unrelated to the official Transport for London art programme. The National Victims Association, which which represents families affected by crime, queried the 
queried that allowing Bronson to engage with the... that they weren't happy about Bronson being able to engage with the British public in this way. His work was soon removed by an unknown party for unexplained reasons. I think we can all guess why. The Guardian reported in 2014 that the sale of several of Bronson's artworks, which were formerly owned by Ronnie Cray, raised several thousand pounds for his mother to have a holiday. It followed her upset after Bronson's report attack launched against 12 prison guards at HMP Woodhill. In 2016, he auctioned one of his artworks to raise money for the treatment of a child with cerebral palsy. And in 2021, he was featured on the single Only Mad Men Crawl by I by I by by an Apple based recording art act Lost Vegas. A little bit more trivia for you there. And obviously he's also when the movie Bronson was being made, which features Tom Hardy, as we've mentioned, Tom Hardy obviously wanted to speak to Charles Bronson so he can get an idea of the character that he's gonna be playing. So he visited him quite a fair bit when the movie was being made and they became really good friends they became very good friends they got along absolutely perfectly bronson was very happy that hardy was the one to be playing him and their visit soon stopped because the prison was not happy about the visits and didn't deem it appropriate so banned tom hardy from visiting charles bronson a little bit of extra fact there but that was Charles Bronson, that's pretty much where he's up to now. He's still alive, he's still in prison, probably still pissing people off, but that is Charles Bronson. And that is the end of Crime Month on the True Crime Friday podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know if you did. Give me any feedback if you so wish, because we've been doing this for like nine weeks now. Wouldn't mind if you guys tell me what you thought about it. But don't forget you can follow me to for updates about the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, especially at Panda. That's my handle. And yeah, just let me know what you think. And I will see you guys next week. I don't know who we're going to be covering. I don't know what kind of a month it's going to be. But I will see you for next week's True Crime Friday. Bye.